0: We're going to be in the Gospel of John once again today. We'll be looking at sections of chapters 12 and 13. This is the final week that we are looking at stories about leaning into the light or leaning toward the light. And we started this a few weeks ago talking about how plants actually have developed this survival technique. They can survive and they've actually learned how to thrive in adverse low light conditions, that word called phototropism. Anyone that's had a plant indoors especially has probably seen this where your plants curve towards the light. They actually are able to lengthen some of their cells so that they can curve more and more and they lean towards the greatest source Of light which is their primary source of energy in this world. It allows them to literally reach for the Sun. And in these days where we've had more and more rain it's always kind of nice when you can reach literally for the Sun for us as well. I was just remarking yesterday it was like 730 or so and it was so nice still to have some light at 7:30, You know how just like two months ago you get to about five o'clock and you're like it feels like 11 p.m. Is it time for bed yet? And now we have these long days growing even longer. Similarly to what we've talked about with plants, a measure of our growth and life depends on which direction we face and the distance to our source of light as well. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is our source of life and growth. He's the one whose presence allows us to thrive and to grow and to become the people that He knows we can be. We find our potential and purpose as we lean more and more into Jesus. And in these final weeks before Easter, we've looked at several stories of people in the Gospel of John who have leaned toward the light. They took the opportunity that God gave them. They leaned toward the light. They leaned toward Jesus. They soaked up his presence. And in the process, they actually discovered true life. Some who saw Jesus and especially in his miracles, came to believe right away. They were totally convinced. They didn't have to see any more evidence. There in. Others were closed to the light. And they remained in the dark. And nothing he said or did would convince them otherwise. Some people actually believed what they saw and experience, but they were afraid. And they needed more time to grow in their measure of faith. They needed more time in his presence to develop their own belief. I know sometimes that can feel true for us today, that we need a little more time in his presence to grow deeper in our own faith. And still others, the last category of people, Turned away and actually served the darkness. One of those people is Judas. We'll look at him in a few moments. Today we're going to read some of the story in John chapter 12 and 13 of Jesus' final steps as he moves to Jerusalem. This is both Palm Sunday, where we celebrate and welcome the coming king, the day when Jesus. Road into Jerusalem, and it is also Passion Sunday, where we mark the beginning of Holy Week, where we see Jesus not only serve, but then also suffer and eventually sacrifice himself for us. So let's continue where we left off last week John chapter 12. And the story that we looked at last week was when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And it convinced some people to believe in him right away. They saw what he did, and they leaned in and had a measure of faith. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, people responded in that way. And then there were others, as I said last week, who ran off and snitched on him, told the Pharisees what he had done. They were still trying to trip up Jesus to find some flaw that they could nail him. Literally, a few days later, they would nail him to the cross. The Gospel of John actually reinforces how some people lean toward the light of Christ. And I think that that's as true then as it is also true today. Some people will naturally lean toward the light of Christ Some people need more time. Some people are afraid, and others turn away. So let me read the first bit of John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. Think about a pint. I I, I can't visualize how much a pint is, but I've seen a jar of perfume, and that seems like a whole lot. I, Two of the little lunch milk cartons. That's a lot of perfume, especially if they say a dab is enough. Some people still haven't burned that. So imagine how much this is. It's a year's worth of wages. Can you imagine spending one year of your salary on an expensive perfume? This is what she does she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. I know I reread that verse this week and it's like I had never read it before. Not only were they trying to kill Jesus, they were trying to kill any evidence that he had done some amazing things as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. You can imagine Lazarus fully alive, unwrapped from all those grave clothes that had been around him. He is telling the news he is sharing his new reality with everyone. And the people in power didn't like that one bit. I'll stop there. When we think about the story that we looked at last week, with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and the how it impacted both sisters, Mary and Martha, We saw Mary and Martha actually ask Jesus, or they they cried out to Jesus with the same question, Oh Lord, if you had only been here, you could have saved our brother. And Mary on the first hand says the question, but something, Jesus notices something in her in this moment. And she comes to profess her belief that even then she knew that Jesus could do something. And that's what happened to her. Mary, on the other hand, did the same thing. She asked the same question. And in her grief, she doesn't display that same kind of reaction. And we actually saw Jesus get angry at people's lack of belief, their lack of faith. He already knew what he was going to do. And then he performs that miracle. And people are amazed. Just a few days earlier, she had had that lack of belief. She thought Jesus was too late. Now what does she do? She extends a lavish gift upon Jesus. And even if she doesn't fully appreciate it at the moment, she's preparing him for what is to come. Preparing him for his burial. It's a cool kind of turn that in just a few short days, she goes from a measure of unbelief, or a shaky belief to turning fully towards Jesus and helping prepare him for his final sacrifice. We also learn more about Judas in this, that not only would he be the one that betrays Jesus, but that he was already on the path before we knew it. He was helping himself to the till, sticking his hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. Already consumed by greed and a thief, he was plotting betrayal. If you look at Matthew chapter 26, we actually learn a little bit of what he has already been plotting. It says, Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to turn him over. Now, 30 pieces of silver is certainly not a small sum, but it's not a large sum either. It was a very modest amount. And if you read elsewhere in the Gospels, we don't know his complete motivation for betraying Jesus. But we do know that at some point it says, Satan was the motivation. That something was going on inside of him, prompting him to do this. You can feel the tension growing. Jesus goes from his last miracle in the Gospel of John to now he is receiving this lavish anointing upon his feet and he knows that this man will betray him He knew that people were waiting to see him both those who would come to believe in him and those who would turn from him. Some would welcome and worship him, others would blame and betray. And all of this leads and is the backstory to that triumphant entry into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday. Jesus at this point is well aware all that is happening. Let me read those verses, verses 12 through 19 in John chapter 12. It says the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which also means save us. Although by this time it was also an exclamation of praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They're shouting all these things. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. I still find that ironic. With the number of times that Jesus has told them directly what's going to happen. He's told them that he will be betrayed. He told them that he will die. And still it's like they were prevented from fully understanding. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. And that these things had been done to him. We've said this before, that nothing, no plans, no schemes, nothing was going to thwart the purposes of God, even if it led to his own sacrifice on the cross. See, what the people that were thwarting and planning didn't realize is they were actually playing right into the plan. They just didn't know it. And just as before, when we see in this scene, as in all the other scenes, it's a mixed bag for the people. Just like it is for you and me today. Sometimes we are in different places. Some people were for Jesus, some people were against him, and most of them had no idea what was going on or what Jesus was going to do. Later on in the chapter, Jesus even goes on and he speaks about how this is the moment when God the Father will be glorified. And it says that heaven responded. A voice came from heaven and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the people who were there heard it. Some said it sounded like a crack of thunder. Others thought it was the voice of an angel. Afterwards, Jesus actually, it says, he hid. He withdrew from their sight. He hid himself. And what was left was a people divided. Some were right there. It's like all they needed was that last little bit from heaven. They heard that sound and they were in. They believed. Others weren't. Some of the leaders, it says, were even convinced at this point. They wanted and they did believe, but they were afraid to acknowledge their newfound faith in public. This is also true today, we sometimes find. Let's go to the last part in chapter 13. This is a few days later. Let me read the first verses from John chapter 13. While Jesus is serving and ready to sacrifice, Judas is continuing his plot. It says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. I'll stop there. Isn't this so often the case, Jesus' words here? We don't understand or realize what he is doing. But one day, or eventually, we will. We want to know what Jesus is doing, or why, or when, but we don't fully understand it at the time. We don't understand his will, or what's going on, or why he's taking so long. Lord, I prayed and prayed and prayed, What's the delay here? I take some comfort knowing that this is true, not only for these first disciples, that we kind of share that in common with them. That, think about it, they spent three years directly in his presence, walking with him, seeing all of the things with their own eyes. And even with all of that, they still did not understand At the moment, in some ways, we have it a little bit better because we have the full story. We can see the bigger perspective. We've had time. What I take comfort in is that Jesus, even though they didn't understand, didn't give up on them. It says he loved them. He was with them to the end. And my friends, it is the same for you and me. He does the same for us. He loves you to the end, even if you do not understand, even if you don't get it. For all who want to walk into the light and lean into his presence, he loves you to the end. And when we continue to do so, even in the midst of pain and pressure and hardship, we actually will find life, sometimes without even realizing it. We actually grow strong and thrive in the light of God's glory. On that night, Jesus prepares to share a final meal with them. And he actually reveals the sad and tragic news that one among them will betray him. And that it will happen soon. So let me read those verses. John 13, starting in verse two. Jesus says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send, accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. That troubled in spirit, actually, it means profound mental anguish. He was, I I don't even know another way to say it. Something had come over in his spirit. He was in profound distress in this moment. And he testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. How'd you like to get that dinner and hear those words? It says his disciples stared at one another, probably looking around. It says they were at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we know that's John, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Peter, needing to know, but not wanting to ask the question himself. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread. When I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread he gave to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. But since we already know about Judas, we know how that was going to work out. Verse 30, As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. In this final moment, It's a sad point. Judas chose to lean away from the light. And not just lean, he turned away. And he responded to the leading of the evil one, turning away from the light once and for all. This is the one person in human history that it says this was the case. This was as it was. Thankfully, for you and me, we don't have to play that out as well. That we always have the opportunity to turn back to the light. In each one of the stories up until now, it's shown or revealed people who have responded to the opportunities that Jesus gave to them. Judas stands out as the one who did not. He's the one that hurt the most because he was close. That pain of betrayal. It's a pain that I think many people here today can identify with as well. When someone close to you turns away, sometimes that hurts more than someone you barely know. Friends, before we meet again next week... I encourage you not to jump right to Easter morning. We don't get to do that until Easter morning. For now and the rest of this week, we acknowledge the sorrow, the suffering and the sacrifice as Jesus goes to the cross and gives up his life. Before he did this, he broke bread with his disciples. I want to read four verses from the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Even knowing that one would betray him, he was still willing to give himself. 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Can you imagine giving that piece of bread to the person who would betray you and to give it willingly? I, I, I can't imagine that in that moment. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Until then, we have the table. And like he shared with his first disciples on that night, we too are going to share a meal together. A symbolic meal, but a meal nonetheless that reminds us of Jesus' death and sacrifice, reminding us of the meal that awaits us when we all will get to partake, together with him, one body forever. This is a meal that reminds us of these moments and it anticipates the hope that awaits when we pass from dark to light. Today is an opportunity for you to lean into the light of Christ once again, my friends to turn your eyes upon Jesus, as we say, to receive from Him as you lean into Him more and more. I would encourage you this week, soak up His presence. And through it all, may you find life in Him. New life, renewed life, restored life. And when you do, may we respond as well, just like those first people did eyes of, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King, the light of the world. Friends, I invite you to pray, and then we are going to prepare to come to the table together. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for all that you have revealed for your Son. That Jesus did the seemingly impossible. Something that we could Never hoped to do. To give himself willingly and to be obedient all the way to the cross. God, I pray now that as we prepare to come to your table, that you would help us to turn our eyes to you. Soften our hearts, O Lord. Help us to walk with you and to see you in this holy week, to lean into your presence. Until we meet again, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And now receive the benediction as we go. Go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not tentatively, but boldly. Not cynically, but hopefully. Not sadly, but joyfully. Because today we have met again the one who creates, forgives, and redeems. Amen and amen.